Okay, let me give you again the timeline. I had given it to you last time as we cover the chronological life of Jesus. And we are in the, the, uh, the, the last day of his life. And, and so here's the timeline. At, at 4 a.m. was the first civil trial before uh, uh, Pontius Pilate. At around 5 a.m. was the second trial, second civil trial, and that's before Herod Antipas. And we told you a little bit about him and why he and, and, uh, um, and Pilate, Pontius Pilate had been uh, uh, at odds with each other. And then at 6 a.m. is the third civil trial, and that's before um, uh, Pontius Pilate. And there we have an exact time frame uh, because it's mentioned in John 19.14. And then at 9 a.m. is the crucifixion. And then at uh, 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 noon, it slips into the portion where he's separated from the Father and he dies at 3 p.m. that day. So this is Friday. This is the day of Passover, the first full day of Passover. Jesus celebrated the Passover feast on Thursday night, which is the tradition, the night in, just as Passover is starting. Then there's another sacrifice that's offered up at 9 a.m. on the Passover day, exactly the time that Jesus was crucified. And that Passover feast is only for the, the priests to eat, only for the uh, uh, priests to eat. And, and so the, the congregations of Israel have already eaten on Thursday night. That's when Jesus did. So we're, we are now in Luke chapter, um, Luke chapter 23, verse 6. This is the, the trial before Herod Antipas. Remember, this is Herod. Uh, this is not King Herod. King Herod was the father great builder, the one who tried to have Jesus killed when he was just a child. Uh, this is his son, Herod Antipas, is the ruler of Galilee, but he is in Jerusalem at this time. Both he, he and Pilate have moved into Jerusalem at this time to try to control the crowds, because remember, all Jewish males are coming into Jerusalem for the Passover, and it's up to them to keep there from being riots and disorder. Generally, Pilate was in Caesarea, uh, uh, Herod Antipas was in, was in the Galilee. They both came in there. So in verse 6 of Luke chapter 23, when Pilate heard it, he asked whether the man was a Galilean, and when he heard that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself was also in Jerusalem at the time. So remember, he sent him to Herod, not to be nice, but to just take this problem and send it away. He's already declared Jesus innocent, but the crowds are still coming at him. Now, Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus in verse 8, for he had wanted to see him for a long time because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed by him. And he questioned him at some length, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently. And Herod was, and Herod with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Now, Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, for before that they had been enemies with each other. And I explained to you last time why they had been enemies. But now you see that, that uh, Herod for a long time had been wanting to see Jesus. It says in Luke chapter 9, Herod was, this is the Herod who had John the Baptist beheaded. And uh, then when he heard about Jesus doing these works, he thought that John the Baptist had risen from the dead. And he said, how can I, how did this happen? I, I had him beheaded myself right there. And uh, so he'd been wanting it some, for some time to see Jesus because he'd been hearing about these miracles. But Jesus would not entertain him, wouldn't even engage with him. Nothing. And so then he ended up mocking him. So remember, 
Pilate was awake at 4 a.m. for the first trial because he was expecting a trial. Herod is awake at 5 a.m. only because he's been up all night partying. Because remember, this is the Herod who loves to be entertained. His daughter would, would dance for him. His, his wife's daughter would dance for him and, and, and uh, have these parties all night. And uh, uh, so he gets sent back now to Pilate. And he gets sent back, and now this, so that was the second civil trial. Now he's going to have the third civil or criminal trial, and this is before Pilate again. So look in, in Luke chapter 23, verse 13. Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and he said to them, You brought this man to me, one who incites the people to rebellion, and, and behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in him. In this, I've found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. Nor, no, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. So you see, he says, I haven't found anything. Remember the three charges they brought up, because now uh, um, Judas is dead. There's no, no uh, witness to bring forward to, in, in, to accuse him. So the three charges they brought up is, number one, that he foments revolt. Number two, that he refuses to pay taxes to Caesar and teaches that. And, and, and uh, uh, the third one, the, the, uh, the, the, the third cry against him was that he makes himself out to be a king, so he's a competitor to Caesar. Those are the three charges. Pilate examines him on these. Remember, there was no evidence of him not paying taxes. In fact, Jesus said, render to Caesar what is Caesar. There was no evidence of him foaming, fomenting re revolt. Uh, so the, the third item here was, was that he made himself out to be a king. Pilate had already tested him. He says, he's not a competitor to Caesar. So uh, he says, I found no, no guilt against him. He already had proclaimed that. Now he's proclaiming it again. And he said Herod had proclaimed it. So that's three times he's already been proclaimed innocent. But the crowds are so overwhelming him, he agrees to have him punished. And so we'll pick that up again in just a minute. But um, uh, so, so um, let me just finish reading this portion. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. Now he was obliged to release to them at the feast one prisoner. But they cried out together, saying, Away with this man and release for us Barabbas. He was one who had been thrown into prison for insurrection made in the city and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept on calling out, saying, Crucify, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, Why, what evil has this man done? I have found no guilt demanding death. This is the fourth proclamation of innocence. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. But they, but they were insistent with loud voices, asking that he be crucified. And the voices began to prevail. And Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand be granted, and he released the man that they were asking for him, uh, for whom had been thrown into prison for insurrection and for murder, but they delivered Jesus to their will. But he delivered Jesus to their will. So we're going to fill in a little bit of that now, reading, reading from... Uh, reading from some other portions in the Scripture. Look in, in uh, Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And we're going to learn a little bit more about this man Barabbas. Now, who was Barabbas? So, Barabbas, Barabbas is a title. Barabbas. Barabbas means son of the father. This was not the man's uh, proper name. This was his title. His title was Barabbas, son of the father. And so that was the title by which he went. 
So this is the substitutionary man who's going to be released. So there was a tradition that Pilate would release for them one prisoner at the Passover as a show of goodwill. So Barabbas was there really for insurrection, something that they had accused Jesus of. Pilate was there, or Barabbas was there for insurrection and for murder. His name was Son of the Father. We know from extra-biblical writings that his real proper name was Yeshua. That is Jesus. That is the same, it is, was a very common name. It was like the name John. It was a common name at the time. That was Jesus' name. Yeshua is Jesus' name in Hebrew. That was this man's name. This man's name is Yeshua, son of the Father. And you see how God has perfectly aligned this one to go and to be, and the one who has been accused of, of insurrection and has done it, and Jesus who has not done it, who is the real Yeshua, the son of the Father, is the one who is undergoing this penalty. You see just this perfect alignment. God is in control of everything. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 15, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for them, release for the people, any one prisoner whom they wanted. And at the time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy, they had handed him over. You see, this was a personal thing. It was because of envy. The crowds were con continually coming to him. And they had previously said, if we don't do something about him, the crowds are going to be totally going over to him. They were prote protecting their position, but they used these other charges as a backdrop, as a facade, when really it was out of envy. Verse 19, when he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him a message saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. So as Pilate is distracted getting this message from his wife, you know, here he is on the judgment seat and his wife is sending him the message, you're like, working right now, you know, but wives just, they don't care, they're just going to come in and they're just going to just deal with it, so here's Pilate, you know, the, the, the procurator, sitting on the judgment seat, and his wife is sending him a message, and, and uh, he's got to stop everything, because his wife had a bad dream last night, and uh, she says, have nothing to do with that man, so she is warning him, she dreamt about this guy the, the night before, during that distraction, there's enough time for the leaders down there in the crowd to tell the crowds, ask for Barabbas, ask for Barabbas. But the governor said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? You see, Judas, uh, uh, um, you, you see, Pilate is trying to release Jesus. He is really trying. He says, I found no guilt in this man. Four times he's proclaimed this so far. I found no guilt in him. He's trying to release him, but he's caught up in this saga. Then what do you want? And they cried out, Barabbas. Pilate said, then what do you, what you want me to do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, crucify him. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more saying, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. 
And all the people said, His blood shall be on us and on our children. Then He released Barabbas for them, but after having Jesus scourged, He handed them over to be crucified. He saw a riot forming. Remember, He's in big trouble if a riot forms. His job as procurator is to keep the riots from occurring. You say, oh, no, they just bring in the Roman soldiers and kill them all. No, it is a big problem. It's like you know, this, this mayor in Baltimore, which she's going through because a riot broke out in the town for a few days. These people are in big trouble. He is paid by the Roman government to keep peace. They want peace and they want taxes and just send them the check in the mail and leave them alone. That's, that, that's what Caesar wants. Send them the check in the mail. Pilate's in big trouble if a riot breaks out. So he finally says, fine, I'm going to wash my hands of this, meaning that he's proclaiming his own innocence. But he is not, as we'll see. And whatever happened to Herod, Herod Antipas? Herod Antipas in uh, 39 AD. This is occurring in 30 AD. In 39 AD, Herod Antipas, at the promptings of his wife, goes to, to Caesar, who is named Caligula at that point. It's Caligula Caesar, and asks for the title of king like his father had. And Caligula was a madman, just used to kill people, just willy-nilly kill people. And uh, uh, so he took Herod out and his wife and, and uh, banished them to Lyon, and they died in poverty. Uh, what happened to Pilate? Pilate in 36 AD, six years after that, was, uh, uh, was, was banished to, to present-day Vienna, which is Gaul, and uh, he ended up killing himself there. But what they did is they said, his blood be on us and on our children. And this is exactly what's going to happen to those in Jerusalem in 70 AD. They and their children, the blood will be on them and on them only. On that generation, the blood was going to fall on them. Exactly what they had cried out for. Now let's turn to John. John, John gives us a little more in, insight here. So turn to John chapter, chapter, uh, uh, nine, John chapter 18, verse 39. John 18, verse 39. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish that I release for you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. And we know that a robber is just a, is a very nice definition for a man who, who committed also insurrection and murder. Verse 19, chapter 19, verse 1 of John. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and to say to him, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. So, what is a Roman scourging? It is very different than, than, than a, a Jewish flogging. The, the Jewish flogging was called 40 save 1, meaning 39, because by Jewish law, they could flog a man on his back 40 times. But the Sopharim said, what if the person who's flogging him should lose count and exceed 40? Then we would be guilty. So they changed the rule. They said, we will only go to 39. That's why it was called 40 save 1. That's why Paul said, Paul went through five Jewish floggings. You always lived after a Jewish flogging. It was painful. On your bare back, you were whipped with a, with a leather whip. Five of those Paul went through. The Roman scourging was very different. There was no restriction on number. The whip was not leather. It was leather with embedded uh, iron, uh, jagged iron balls and bone and glass. And it would strip the skin. So it was made to wrap around, 
pull and pull off the skin. Then it was made to cut into the muscle. It would go the back, around the back, into the front, the legs, and the face until it was a pulpy mass. Many people never survived a Roman scourging. So by this time, by the Roman scourging, his face would be a pulpy mass. If you read in Isaiah chapter 52, things are written in the Old Testament about the Messiah that are not written in the New Testament. Isaiah 52 says, at the end of that chapter, it says that his form was so shredded, he was unrecognizable as a man. And this is exactly what the Roman scourgings are referenced as. Many times the family members couldn't even recognize this family member after Roman scourging, that their face would be so ripped. And so Jesus was that shredded from this Roman scourging. This is what he went through. This is very different than, than, than the Jewish floggings. The reason it's not described here is that because the people in this generation were very familiar with Roman scourgings. They had seen it. They needed no understanding of this. We don't generally see... I mean, how many people have you seen scourged by the Romans? <laughs> like in your last visit to, to Milan or something. You've not seen it. And, and so this is why we need an understanding of what it's like. And then in verse 4, Pilate came out, and, 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 uh, Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Fifth time, proclamation, I haven't found any guilt. Still, I've had him scourged. Is that enough? Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns. Now remember, if you look at the thorns in Israel, they're not like our little thorns on a, on a, on a, uh, on a rose or something. These things are about that long and they come to this point and they are really wicked thorns over there. And uh, um, so this is the crown of thorns they put on him. He comes out wearing this crown of thorns and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him for I find no guilt in him. Again, he proclaims, no guilt, six times. You crucify him yourselves. I, I'll have nothing to do with this. So John's giving us a little more understanding what's happening here. He says, I find no guilt in him. You want to crucify him, you crucify him yourselves. The Jews answered him and said, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the Son of God. So now they, he said, I haven't found him fomenting revolt. I haven't found him teaching not to pay taxes. And I haven't found found him doing any of the things that, that, that you, you said that he was, he was supposed to have done. So I, I find no guilt in him. You know, he hasn't been doing this thing. He's not, he's not a competitor to Caesar. So now what happens is the Jewish leaders drop all those charges and they come up with new charges. Now they say, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Now that's not against the law in Rome. But it scares Pilate when they say that. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and he said to Jesus, where are you from? So now he's going to interrogate him based on this new charge. The new charge of being the Son of God. He says, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus said, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. 
And as a result, Pilate made efforts to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar's. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. So, Pilate then is going to interrogate him on this new charge. So this new charge comes up and he says, where are you from? And Jesus doesn't even speak to him. Why doesn't Jesus speak? Because Jesus spoke to him formerly in the last, in the last trial. Jesus spoke to him. And he just, just, just uh, uh, in a cavalier sense said, what is truth? When he spoke against Jesus and he, he didn't engage with Jesus, when Jesus tried to speak with him about the truth, that just shut it off. Jesus said, okay, you just shut it down. That's it. So now he's trying to engage with Jesus and Jesus is not talking. He says, don't you realize who I am? I can have you crucified. And Jesus says, you would have no authority unless it had been given to you from above. But he who delivered you up to me has the greater sin. So Jesus, in many instances, this is just one instance, but in other instances as well, Jesus speaks of greater sin. Greater sins. Christians have this view sometimes that is totally unbiblical that all sins are the same. They are not. They are only the same in the extent that any one of them is worthy enough to send us to hell. That's the only extent in which they're the same. But just as in the Old Testament, there were some sins that you would make a sacrifice for, other sins you couldn't make a sacrifice for, you were killed for. There are sins, there are differences in sins, and that's why there's going to be a white throne judgment. There are differences in sin. And, and, and uh, for some reason, we, we, we don't understand this. And we see the same manifestations in our lives. Uh, uh, in your mind, kill somebody. Go outside and kill somebody. Is there a difference in the penalty for those things? I mean, certainly there is. And there should be. I mean, you could get angry with somebody and do nothing to them. Or you can get angry with somebody and hit them. You hit them, you go to jail for that. That's assault. You get angry with them in your heart, nothing happens. I mean, we, we, we understand this in our lives. And Jesus says, to they have greater sin because they delivered you up. But then they say, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar's. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Now, that seems like kind of an empty threat. You know, if you release him, uh, you're no friend of Caesar. Uh, like, I care what you think about <laughs> But it says, therefore, when Pilate heard these words, what words? These words, the words that were just said. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and he sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew is called Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. That is 6 a.m. That is different than reading the times in the other Gospels because this Gospel was written about 100 A.D., near the end of John's life, and he is using Roman time. So sixth, sixth hour is 6 a.m. in this Gospel. And, they said, and, he, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So they cried out, Away with him. And, and with, away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he's handed him over to be crucified. So what made Pilate take the judgment seat and proclaim this? It was those words. Everyone who makes himself out to be king, to, to be a king, opposes Caesar. You're not a friend of Caesar's if you do this. 
Why should that scare Pilate so much? It turned out that just shortly before this, there had been a, an attempt on the life of Tiberius Caesar, who was the Caesar at this time, Tiberius. His life was threatened by, his, by a, a man named Sejanus. Sejanus was head of the Praetorian Guard, the very guard that was there to protect Tiberius. It was Sejanus who had given Pilate his position. Sejanus had spoken on Pilate's behalf. He was friends with Pilate. He had spoken on Pilate's behalf, got Pilate the position to be procurator of Judea and Samaria. So now, because there had been an attempt by Sejanus on Tiberius Caesar's life, Sejanus was killed along with many other people in this rebellion. And the Senate, the Roman Senate, had launched an investigation to see who was friends with Sejanus? Were they part of this? So Pilate is really scared at this point for it to be heard that he is not a friend of Caesar's. He doesn't want word getting back because that will make him part of this Sejanus conspiracy. So this really hits him. So now he's caught in this. You see, he tried repeatedly to get Jesus out of this. But when it came to his own safety, he put up Jesus for this. This, is, this happens to us in life. Let me tell you things that can happen to us in life. You don't wake up generally in the morning saying, I'm going to do evil today. I think I'm just going to hurt somebody today. I think I'll just tell a lie. I think I'll just embezzle today. Seems like a good thing to do today. No, it's a Monday. Let's try it on a Monday. You don't generally do that. So why do people, good people, Christian people, get caught up in this? Why do you get caught up in doing things wrong? And what happens is you find yourself sometimes in situations that kind of take you by surprise. This took Pilate by surprise. He thought he could deal with these issues. He's not guilty. Let him go. But a riot's starting to form. And so finally it forces his hand to have this guy scourged thinking that that will pacify these people. But it doesn't. And then it forces his hand, and eventually it comes to his own safety, and he ends up having this man crucified. This happens in our lives. We get caught up in things. If, if, if you're a lawyer, you'll see this all the time. People will come to you, and these are generally good people. They didn't mean to get themselves caught up in this mess. And as a lawyer, you have to try to figure out how to get them out of it. You guys are lawyers back there. Do you know what I mean? I mean, there's people that they don't plan to get caught up in this mess. But it's so easy to. Just be going through your life and you'll find yourself sometimes just caught up in something like, wow. And you'll, you'll think, well, if I just lie about this, it'll all go away. If I just, you know, don't say anything about what I did about that situation and just, just try to then it'll all go away. And you get caught up in this trying to protect yourself. This happens in life. It may have never yet happened to you because you're young. But it will happen to you someday where you're caught in a situation and you didn't mean to be and you're not a bad person in the sense of you know, gauging yourself. Of, yes, compared to God, we're all bad. But compared to Barabbas, you're not a bad person. And, and, uh, but you find yourself caught up in this. So what do you do? What do you do in a mess like this? Well, the scripture tells us exactly what to do. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6. 
My, my son, if you have become surety for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger, if you've been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught by the words of your mouth, do this, my son, and deliver yourself, since you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, humble yourself, and importune your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand, and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. And, and, and uh, uh, so let me, let me read this again to you in, in the, the NIV version. In NIV it says, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, the Bible repeatedly says, don't put up security for another person. What does that mean? Your friend wants to buy a car, and they need a co-signer. The Bible says, don't become a co-signer. Now, if you are a parent and you want to do that for your child, that's fine. But you're not supposed to do that for others. And uh, you say, well, that's, what's wrong with that? Well, the Bible says, don't do it. Because very often, you're going to be the one ending up paying. Unless you're okay with paying for that car, don't sign it. Unless you're okay. And I've seen this many times. Young people have become co-signers on, the ha- on behalf of other young people. And it's the co-signer that ends up paying for the thing. But then she says, if you've put up security for your neighbor, if you've shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you've, be, you've been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, to free yourself. So here's what it says. Now you see that the, the writer here keeps saying, my son, this is somebody who loves us. He's saying, my son, this is what you do. Here's what you do. Do this, my son, to free yourself, since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes nor slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the, hunter, from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. He's saying you deal with it immediately. The longer you wait, the worse it gets. And the more you say to try to cover it up, the worse it gets. Remember, you lie to a federal agent... That is an offense in itself. You lie to the police, that is an offense in itself. You, right from the beginning, you just start telling the truth. You write from the beginning, even if it's going to hurt you. He says, you do this. Don't give sleep to your eyes as soon as you can. You want a record of it? Send it by email. Because there's always going to be a record of it. Send it by email. That This is what I've done. And then go call them. And say, and and I'm sending you an email record so you know that I have confessed to this. You know that I did wrong. You leave a document, a trail of documentation that you corrected this, even if it's to your hurt, because the hurt that you're going to go through is far less than what you're going to end up going through by covering this thing up. You immediately deal with it. Immediately deal with these situations. This is why when we talk about the Lord's Supper and forgiveness. Immediately deal with these things. The longer you wait to ask forgiveness of somebody, the longer you wait, the harder it gets. The longer you wait to deal with situations, because they're going to be like, you, you did this four months ago, and you're just coming to me now. Yes, I did it four months ago, and I'm convicted of this, and I, I'm just coming to you now. Please forgive me. I need to come clean on this. And you will begin to sleep well once again. Because the Bible tells us 
And it, and, and it talks about this. We haven't time to, to look at it, but it talks about in, in Psalm 32 about how when I kept silent about my sin, my bones were just aching within me. This will suck the life right out of you if you don't come clean on things. If you have stolen, if you have embezzled, and I'm telling you, you don't wake up in the morning doing this. You find yourself in situations you never planned on. You're not Barabbas. All of us find ourselves in situations. We go and we deal with these situations quickly. You will find yourself in a difficult situation at some point. And if you try to go around it, try to go around it without dealing with it, it's going to come back and hurt you all the more. Deal with these situations and let your life be free. This is what the Scripture tells us. Do it quickly. Deal with these situations. So if you have something to deal with, deal with it now and you get good at dealing with it and you say, well, you know, then people aren't going to think much of my Christianity. They're actually going to think more of your Christianity. When we come clean and we ask forgiveness of things and we repent for things that we've done wrong to unbelievers, they think all the more of us. Some of them who are really kind of cockamamie will, will judge us, saying, oh, well, you're a Christian and you did. It's like they really know that they've done the same thing. They really do. They're not squeaky clean. But they will think all the more of you and ultimately all the more of your Christianity and all the more of your relationship with God when you've come clean with this. Okay, let's pray. Abba Father, thank You so much for Your mercies. Thank You, Lord God. And Lord, I pray for these young people that You would so work in their lives that when they find themselves being caught in situations that they never planned on, Father, that they would readily deal with these things in doing that which is right. In doing that which is right. In confessing these things and quickly and speedily dealing with it. Rather than drifting into more and more depth of wrong. Father, I pray for Your grace upon these young people. Father, thank You for teaching us from Your Word. Father, may we learn from these things. And so lead us through, I pray. By the grace of God, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.